And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com. I am your host, Michael Graham, our intrepid reporter, the Jimmy Olsen of Philadelphia uh, journalism. Linda Stein is with us. Linda, how are you? Oh, after that introduction, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just wondering how many people can get the Jimmy Olsen reference. Hey, I should maybe get out my uh, my uh, my walker and, and uh, ask them about it. By the way, we are hoping that this uh, podcast will be a little less eventful than our most recent one. If you haven't heard that conversation with uh, State Senator uh, Doug Mastriano, this made some news. You can find it at uh, DelawareValleyJournal.com. And of course, you can find all our stuff on uh, social media as well. We're on Facebook and and twitter dv underscore journal and with so much uh, political news with the primary right around the corner may 17 you want to get a glimpse of what the voters are thinking you turn to franklin and marshall college and their center for opinion research where the director is burwood yost who has a, been a previous guest on the podcast uh professor welcome glad to have you back hey thanks i'm glad to be back good to talk to you uh so uh let's start with the big big picture the Findings from the latest poll about what the Pennsylvania voters are thinking that surprised you the most? You know, it, it there's a there were a couple of surprises in here for me. Um, one of the surprises had to do with how much opinion has changed about the trust and confidence that citizens have in our electoral processes in the states. Um, we asked a question back in August 2020 before the last presidential election, right. where we were trying to understand how people were feeling about the, uh, the processes, the election processes in the state, how satisfied they were with those things and whether they wanted any changes. And, um, you know, at the time, uh, most people told us, almost uh, three quarters of them right. told us, that they were satisfied with the way that the rules and procedures ran in this state for elections. And, you know, among the 24% or so who were dissatisfied, they were mostly dissatisfied with ballot access issues. They wanted it to make it easier for third party candidates to get on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to today, after many months uh, worth of um, recriminations about the last election from the right. Republicans, and you now have 52% of Pennsylvania registered voters saying they are dissatisfied with the rules and procedures that guide elections. And it's pretty partisan. I mean, as you can imagine, it's mostly right. Republicans. I think only 8% of Democrats are very dissatisfied. And the issues they want to see changed are things like voter ID, uh, eliminating mail-in balloting, uh, you know, getting rid of drop boxes, and basically preventing voter fraud. So I think, while maybe that shouldn't have surprised me, uh, mm. it just goes to show you how um, when, when things are said by our leaders and, and constantly repeated, people pick up on them. And, and uh, you know, I think that's what we see there. So that was probably the biggest thing. Um, now, despite that, uh, the other questions we asked about election reform that we asked in August 2020 really didn't change. People support uh, open primaries in the state. Uh, majority of people also support maybe moving to some kind of top two primary system where whoever wins 
the top two vote getters move on to the general election regardless of party. So um, I, I guess our trust in the statewide processes have gone, has gone down um, for partisan reasons. And, uh, but the things we'd like to see change uh, or are willing to accept like open primaries, et cetera, that hasn't changed much. So I'm gonna open up the Bombay doors here for a bunch of opinion and you can either respond or, or reject or discount, but two things. One is, it is fascinating to me that you've seen this uh, shift in distrust to ballots because the fact is complaints about uh, unfair election processes or uh, selected, not elected, a, a line that was popularized by Democrats in the year 2000, for example, uh, the 2004 election, there were Democrats on the House uh, who refused to certify George A. Bush's re-election. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, after 2016, it was Hillary Clinton who was saying the election was stolen by the evil Russians and blah, blah, blah. They've been around. I think the difference is that uh, number one, you have this concerted effort by a very high profile person in the media, pre former President Trump, who's really just hammered home with it. And the number two, there's been a lot more um, open media coverage. There's been more part of the conversation, I think, because some people think it discredits the former president and, and others people think you embrace it on Fox News, for example, where they think it's a, a legitimate topic. So this topic isn't new, but the volume, I think, is, is new. And then the second thing is, and I say this as somebody who's not, you know, from Pennsylvania, I, I used to run political campaigns mostly in Southern states and every Southern state has a runoff. And I'm just open mouthed uh, professor that you can win a primary and be your party's nominee with, you know, 24% of the vote, 28% of the vote in Ohio. Uh, yes. J.D. Vance just won with 30. So you're not even asking, forget half of the electorate. You're not even asking half of your own party to have to commit to somebody. I think that's just a ridiculous way to run a system. Why? Forget open and closed primaries. That's a separate issue for another day. How about making the parties vote for a majority, which they do in other states around the country every two to four years? Yeah, runoff elections are. Yeah, I, look, um, we could certainly improve our uh, our the rules that guide our elections. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think, you know, the polling's pretty clear. People want things to change. Um, you know, we ask in our polls regularly, what's the most important problem facing the state? And, you know, it's no surprise right now, the economy's at the top of that mm -hmm. list, but not far behind is, uh, is government and politicians. People are not happy with the divisiveness of our politics and the right. fact that things don't get done. And so, you know, people are hungry for some kind of reform. Uh, you know, I think to your first point, you're right that, you know, there, there's been high profile news about this. Um, and I think uh, about the uh, elections, um, I think both sides have used it to, you know, generate enthusiasm among their ba bases. Um, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I think it, it's common for complaints, you know, to, to be uh, said. Uh, I think I heard somebody once say, look, the elect, the uh, Democrats won this, or they stole this election fair and, fair square. and square. Yes. Right. Yes. You've <laughs> heard that said. <laughs> I mean, and, and look, elections have rules and you, you try to, right. to do your best to, to win them, but there's no, I mean, there were audits and, and exactly. hand counts and all those things. Yeah. So there really wasn't widespread fraud. Um, but I do think a lot of people support um, making sure elections are secure. 
Um, and so, you know, it's hard to argue with that point. Um, but uh, anyway, that, you know, this, that's just a fraught path to go down because it is so partisan at this point. And, it, and that's my point. I'm gonna, before I hand off Linda, I mean, I just want to add that, you know, for it's hard for the same people who are now angry with Donald Trump to say, oh, this is outrageous that he said the election was stolen when the Trump supporters can point back to at least the year 2000 going, come on, every four years you guys said when your guy didn't win that it was stolen. So right. basically it's kind of our turn, but the net loser, as your poll shows, uh, Professor, is that there is this undermining in the process and that is really hard to fix. Okay, I've bloviated long enough. How about some uh, uh, Linda Stein bloviation for a change? Hi, um, so <laughs> Professor, one thing that surprised me is here we are down to the wire practically for, for the primary and so many people are undecided. Are you surprised by that? Well, it, it depends what race you're talking about. I mean, yes, people are undecided and it's not unusual in primary campaigns for people to start paying attention later in the process. Um, but, you know, you, you could have thought that the amount of money being spent by the candidates on advertising in this state would have helped clarify things. But it's, I think it's pretty uh, evident that all the advertising has done more to kind of cloud than to clarify. Right. Um, people, uh, you know, I mean, if you if you watch the commercials in, in the Senate, Republican Senate race, it looks like there are two liberals running against each other, right? <laughs> um, it, it's almost like the Twilight Zone. And so I think that, that there's been a lot of confusion created by all that advertising. And, and, and that's why I don't think we've seen, you know, that's the other part of the poll. We have not seen a, a clear leader emerge in probably either gubernatorial primary, either gubernatorial or Senate primary on the Republican side. Those candidates haven't separated themselves and um, there's been a lot of spending and that, that just doesn't seem like it's, it's done a whole lot to help people make a choice. Well, Professor, in the uh, turning to uh, the Republican governor's race, uh, you have in your poll uh, Senator Mastriano at twenty percent, uh, Bill McSwain at twelve, Barletta at eleven, and Dave White at eight. Um, McSwain's campaign is telling me they think he's surging now. Is that something you're seeing that he's surging? Uh. <laughs> Well, it's good to be uh, optimistic uh, if, if you're in a campaign. I mean, let's put it this way. In, in April, he was at 12%. And in uh, May, we have him at 12%. So our numbers don't see that. Now, perhaps they're seeing changing, uh, changes in fundraising or media coverage, things that we didn't cover here in the poll. Right. Um, but, you know, I the numbers here don't show that there's been any separation in either of these races, really. Um, I mean, the, the biggest move since April was for Mastriano. But again, we have to be really careful because one, we know that primary polls tend to be kind of variable because people right. aren't paying attention. They, they still have yet to make up their minds. And in, in the governor's race, a third of people tell us they still don't know who they're going to vote for. And even among those who've 
picked a candidate, half of them say, well, you know, I still could change my mind. So um, I don't think at this point, it's clear who's going to emerge from either the gubernatorial or Senate primaries on the Republican side. Yeah, you've got the Republican Senate. Uh, I don't know yet has gone from 43 to just 39 in the last month with the election approaching. This isn't, you know, if this were seven months ago, it would be no big deal, but with the election in, you know, 10 days, there's still that solid number that's for the Senate race. Uh, yep. and, uh, yeah. and that's a, that's a strong number. I also want to point, people wonder why are primaries so hard to poll. And one of the things I point out is in a primary, it's your team voting for your players. So it's kind of like being at a all-you-can-eat buffet and you're a big fan of, you know, Tex-Mex and there's, they get all the tacos and the beans, whatever lined up. When it comes down to the general election, it's opposite. You've got one food bar that's whatever, you know, vegan and the other food bar that's ribs. Right. They're very right. different. So right away, you've divided a much. It's a lot easier to decide, do you want, you know, ribs or, you know, whatever vegans, I don't know what vegans eat. Uh, so it's not like you're choosing from a bunch of things you already kind of like. For a lot right. of people, the general election choices are far more stark. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like the way you put that. Um, you know, we're in the, when we're in the classroom, we might talk about uh, cues and party cues help people decide. And so yep. in a general election, those party cues make it easier to decide which way you're going. You don't have those in the way that our primaries are structured. And so, you know, it makes it more difficult. And the truth is there, there isn't a lot of difference in the candidate positions uh, within those primaries, right? Exactly. Um, so it's a harder task to differentiate for voters. Um, and, you know, back to a point you raised earlier, uh, turnout isn't going to be like it is in a general election. Um, you know, maybe we'll get to 40 percent of registered voters, but that's unusual in a primary. Mm. Um, and, you know, that gets to your point. If somebody wins this primary, um, either of these primaries with less than 30 percent of the vote, representing only say 40% of the voters. Exactly. I mean, um, although it could be worse, we could make constitutional amendments that way. Oh, I guess we do. <laughs> Linda. Well, um, one other question that, that uh, along these level, along the, the governor's race, um, governor Wolf's approval rating is falling since last year. And uh, President Biden also has a fairly low approval rating. Uh, will either of those affect Josh Shapiro's chances, or do people separate um, Josh Shapiro from other Democrats? In the general, you mean, right, Linda? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Look, um, I think that that we're going to hear a lot about President Biden in the general election campaign, um, and these midterm races are always about the party in power and their performance. So I think uh, President Biden will be, uh, will be uh, example number one that the Republican candidates use to, to boost their, their campaigns. But I do think that Governor Wolf will be example number two. Um, and I think that's true in both races. I think for, it will be true in the governor's race where I'm sure whoever Josh Shapiro is running against will try to, to paint him with the same uh, brush and the same unpopular things that Governor Wolf did uh, during the pandemic, particularly. Uh, and I think that's gonna be true in the Senate, in the Democratic race or in the, uh, the Senate race as well, because 
you know, John Fetterman's the lieutenant governor, and he's going to be tied to, to uh, Governor Wolf's policies as well. One last question for you, and it's about uh, the impact of another figure, and that is Donald Trump. Uh, J.D. Vance's performance, he was kind of in a group of three candidates next door. Some thought that he was kind of flagging a bit, and then President Trump endorsed him, apparently because he likes seeing him on TV. And he ended up winning and winning fairly. I mean, when you're, how can you call 32% handily? I once, I'll set that aside, but he, he definitely had the space, came out with a big win and people say, ah, the Trump effect. How much Trump effect do you expect to see in the Republican primary on May 17th? And here we are less than two weeks away from it. If Trump came out and endorsed say next week, would that still be, would that be enough time for him to have significant uh, impact? I think it depends who he endorses. Um, one of the issues, so, so uh, th uh, there's a couple of things you have to say about it. First, I think he did make a difference for Vance in Ohio. Um, he probably helped him with eight, 10, 12 points, you know, improved his standings. Um, and it's clear from the way that candidates in all these races tried to get his endorsement that uh, they all think it's important. So I don't want to say anything to the contrary. I think that's true. If you if you have his support, it is a help in a Republican primary in this state. He is still popular with Republican voters here. But I think the issue that we're seeing in the Senate race is that Republicans are not very favorably inclined towards Dr. Oz. His personal favorability ratings are more negative than positive. And that's among Republicans. Right. And so you know, I think that's the problem with President Trump's endorsement in that race. And so um, could it help Trump or could it help Oz get over the top? I don't see how he would win without it, um, but I still don't think it guarantees he wins. And so if we if we think about that on the gubernatorial side, um, it again depends who he endorses. I think uh, probably the candidate that's most strongly aligned with him, um, at least among the state's voters, would be Doug Mastriano. Mm -hmm. um, so a Trump endorsement there might really propel his candidacy forward some. Um, uh, but if, if, if um, you know, it, we haven't seen much movement in the polls from McSwain up or down. And we do know that there was sort of an anti-endorsement there. Right from President Trump. So, you know, it's really hard to tell. And in such a big field, any little thing might make a difference. Professor Burwood-Yost, Director of the Center for Opinion Research at Franklin and Marshall College. Thanks so much for sharing us, your insights with us on the upcoming primary election, election. We really appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, Sign up for our twice-a-week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.